From Washington, this is Political Theater, Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Day. This is our very first show. We're the podcast previously known as The Big Story. Uh, in the political theater, we're going to look at the intersection of politics and just about everything else in life. On this show, we're going to talk about football and other professional sports. Joining me today is Brandon Weatherby. He's the managing editor of Brightest Young Things. It's an arts and culture website, and it's right down the street from us at Roll Call. Brandon, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So I also might mention that Brandon uh, is is also the co-author of a book about Donald Trump and Donald Trump's uh, connections and long history with professional wrestling. That is correct. I actually think this gives Brandon a, a relatively unique view into Donald Trump and one that is, I think, quite cogent, uh, particularly as Trump settles into his second year in office. Uh, it seems that he is beginning to get into the, more of the spectacle and the pageantry like that we oh, saw. Oh, he's the, just beginning <laughs> now to do that? Well, you know, the, the thing that is kind of fascinating about this is that the campaign was all about that, right? The campaign was all about the mm-hmm. spectacle. Uh, and now it seemed to get like a little bogged down in the first year of the administration. Uh, you know, like it, if you can talk about health care or you can feud with NFL players like who are kneeling during the, the national anthem, it's an easy choice for Trump. But he still had to talk about health care. I think you're looking at 2017 with nostalgic glasses on right now. <laughs> it's the there was color. not one week where he didn't t- t- put his toes into every single type of water. I mean, even the transition, he had Kanye West at the Trump Tower just because. And Steve Harvey. And, and, well, and, and the guy with the hat from Milwaukee, <laughs> David Clark. Listen, David Clark wears lots of badges, and they're all made up. They're fantastic. He's a flamboyant man. I love him. And when I say I love him, I mean I'm very, very afraid of him. Anyways, um, this is he, a Milwaukee County Sheriff, former Milwaukee County Sheriff. He's David never Clark. not done this, right? If any, the only reason why we know about it is because the social media platform Twitter exists. It's not like he wasn't like this in the '90s or the '80s. He just didn't have a connection to people. But now he does, for better or worse. So let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, like the the one of the things that I wanted to um, explore in the, in this podcast is just how politics reaches, uses, you know, sort of infiltrates other parts of culture. I mean, it is part of our culture, but but there it, we seem to be in this sort of like strange inflection point in in our history. Are we though? And, well, I I feel like it was perhaps a little bit more segregated in the past. Speaking uh, of segregation, yeah, speaking of segregation, <laughs> uh, it was a little it was a little more separate, and now we see um, a, a little bit more. Uh, I don't know, like a fusion of of culture, sports, entertainment, uh, politics, and I politely disagree. Okay, uh, let's talk. Let's okay. let's let's like, literally uh, every that, other yeah. president we have the job of president isn't their dream job. Donald Trump didn't really want to be president in the eighties. Donald Trump wanted to own an NFL team, and then when that didn't happen, he owned a USFL team, and then tried to take the NFL down by changing the schedule. Number one, that's a fact. Number two, George W. Bush wanted to be Major League Baseball commissioner. That was his dream job, but Bud Selig didn't let that happen. If the guy that ran the again Bre- Milwaukee exactly, if the guy that ran <laughs> the Brewers was cool with it, would we have had Bush too? I don't know. Ronald Reagan's dream wasn't to become president. Ronald Reagan's dream was to become an A-list actor, and when that didn't work, he became a pawn of McCarthyism and was a B-list actor and then governor and then president. It's not like we've had people that have always wanted to be president in the office. This is nothing new. It's just that we're noticing it, and we think it's different. The idea of uh, a man in his 70s being upset with the youth of America is not a new idea. The only <laughs> that's, thing that's, that's different true. about Kids it these days. is that the president could actually be 70 years old because health care works. 
It, it is it is quite amazing. So I, let, let's dissect this just in the context of this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Trump went, uh, you know, last year, quite a few very public, you know, sort of feuds and disagreements with NFL players who were following Colin Kaepernick's lead and, and kneeling at the um, at the national anthem. NFL took some PR hits. Uh, so a lot of the fan base wasn't particularly happy about it, although that wasn't a universal thing. Uh, the ratings seemed to be down a little bit. It seemed to calm down a little bit. And then, lo and behold, we hear about a week ago that Trump is going to attend the uh, college football championship game, which was in Atlanta mm-hmm. on on Monday night. It just so happened that it was two marquee Southern states teams. he won. Yeah. Two states he won right. as well. Right, Georgia and Alabama. Although Alabama, things didn't quite work out for him all that well with the election of Doug Jones last month. I mean, it was sort of an embarrassing spectacle for Republicans with Roy Moore's candidacy. But yes, and Georgia, he he didn't win handily, I would say. I mean, like this this is a, a state that Barack Obama almost won, uh, you know, w- w- within five points. So, but anyway, he, he, yes, he, he went there. I think a lot of us, I mean, certainly I was, uh, you may, you may have a different opinion about this, <laughs> uh, was, was sort of bracing for some drama there. I mean, would some, some of the college kids, would they take a knee? Kendrick Lamar was the halftime show. Uh, we, we had Zach Brown playing the national anthem at the beginning of the, of the, the game. And then we had the, uh, we had Kendrick Lamar at halftime. So, and, and really nothing happened. It was a total, like nothing burrito. We talked about this last week, and you said, oh, it's going to be interesting because Kendrick Lamar's at the halftime show. And I said, he's not going to watch that. And he didn't watch that. In fact, he didn't know the words of the song of which he says he likes a lot, which is the national anthem, better known as the Star Single Banner. So the idea that there was going to be any drama was kind of silly to me because at the end of the day, college football needs the money. They can't afford to continue to not play, uh, pay college players uh, and, and not make more money. So... That that was me talking over myself, and I apologize for that. The no end problem. of the day is there was no way giant corporations and giant and the NCAA was going to let this not make money for them, and they're really good at making money for them. And the idea that Trump is the reason why anybody is watching or not watching football is a little absurd. It's nothing is one thing, right? So I'm reading Fire and Fury, and I'm re- reading We Were Eight Years in Power. So the ideas talk about bookends <laughs> exactly, and it's interesting to, to listen to, to, to Coates talk about like, well, uh, this is Tennessee Coates, the author of We Were Eight Years. Thank in Power. you. It's like, oh, this is just racism, and then to hear it in Fire and Fury is like, oh no, this is just a quick rollout. We don't know what we're doing, and it's probably somewhere in the middle, and that's why people aren't watching football. It's not because of Trump saying we should take a knee or you shouldn't take a knee. It's because Trump says that, and there's lots of problems with CT, and tickets are remarkably expensive, and it's very difficult to watch your team unless you have the NFL Sunday ticket, which is not cheap. It's making it cost prohibitive. It's not one thing. The election of Donald Trump isn't one thing. The reason why Donald Trump got into sports is a little bit easier. That is one thing. He And pretty much everything he's ever done is for one thing, and that's for the love of dad. Let's back up a little bit and talk about the you know the Donald Donald Trump's yes. uh, relationship to football. I mean, again, you've you've documented well in your book with Chris Kelly uh, the Donald how Trump turned prof- politics into professional wrestling. His relationship with wrestling and, yes. the, and the billion multi billion dollar enterprise that is that is professional wrestling. But he also has a long standing relationship or on and off again relationship with football, which you mentioned at the sort of the top of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So Trump was the previous owner of the the USFL's New Jersey Generals. He didn't get in on the ground floor. Right. He got it after one year of an owner that was didn't really care about it and because he didn't want to put up his money the same way he didn't want to put up money for his own campaign. 
So Trump got into the USFL not because he really cared, but that was just a way in. He's always been fascinated with football. He's always been fascinated with politics. In any way to get respect, he will gravitate towards. That's all it's ever been. That's all it's ever going to be. It's not like he ever really cared that much about anything he's ever done. He went into the family business. If you're going to the family business, that means somebody told you that's what you should do. That's why he did it. I really think it's that cut and dry. So about the USFL, I mean, again, this is like this was the beginning of his foray into professional sports. For those who haven't seen the USFL's very excellent or the ESPN's excellent USFL documentary on 30 for 30, like he he got in, as you said, like after a year, he owned, you know, the team for a little while. Uh, The team did quite well. It had Herschel Walker. uh, You know, the it was it was a, a success. And one of the reasons was that the USFL was an alternative to the NFL. It wasn't competing with the NFL so much. It was in the spring after the Super Bowl. And then Donald Trump did what? He tried to move it to the fall, right. which is when the— Not a good idea. Which is Well, in theory, it could work. In reality, it can't. And he didn't realize that, oh, yeah, networks aren't going to go along with this. It's one or the other. It clearly failed, and it failed dramatically. Trump actually took this to court. The USFL actually took this to court— on and, antitrust grounds. And they won a dollar. Right. They won 100 pennies, and that was the settlement. It's like, yeah, antitrust, here you go. We don't like you. You've won a dollar. So the moral of the story is don't mess with the NFL. Donald Trump's never really gotten over that, nor should he. Just because you're wrong doesn't make you not have feelings. So, yeah, he's never really been that big of a fan of the NFL because he felt rejected. So is this is this a lesson for how he is approaching politics? He thinks that he can sort of blow up the old model, drain the swamp, if you if you will. Oh no, I and, don't think and take take on both Republicans and Democrats. I mean, he 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 said yesterday, I'll take on all the heat on immigration, just to have bring back earmarks, do all these things. He sort of blew up some norms to be like almost this post. Oh no, there's no plan. There's no plan. There's no, why does everyone think there's a plan? There's never been. Why have you ever had a plan? Anybody with a plan would be like, hey, no, 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 we're making money. Why would you move the USFL to? No, there's no plan. Why would this have a plan? Well, except that he wants to. He he wants to win. He wants love. At the end of the day, he wants love. It's not complicated. Certain groups of people gave him love. Is he a racist? Most likely, yes, based on everything he's ever said and done in lawsuits against him. Do I think that's his biggest motivating factor? actually don't. I think it's a quest in search for love, which sounds very... The, the good thing about this being a bipartisan show, which is in the intro, and that this is a bipartisan show, no one's going to like hearing that. If you support Donald Trump, you don't like hearing that. If you if you think he's a fascist, you're not going to like hearing that. He's not a fascist. He's just a guy that really wants love that bills himself as a billionaire. Is this what, what the sort of late night phone calls to Bob Corker and, and the like are, are about? You it's know? everything it just, you know? ever. Like, the, how is this? This has been consistent with everything he's ever done. The, okay, he thinks he's a reality star. If he was really a reality star, he would still have a reality television show. People didn't watch that show. He just wanted to be told, hey, you're loved. We love you. Why do you think he works with his family? Those people <laughs> love him. And at the end of the day, that he knows that they're going to be with him. He's all about loyalty and love. And it's not a complicated issue. But it's very difficult when you're a rational human being, when you're saying like, hey, th- your hatred of other people is getting in the way of me loving you. They don't want to hear that. No one wants to hear that. But that's the reality. I, I, I almost feel like, you know, as the, you know, as Fire and Fury, the book has come out and as, you know, it seems to be, I mean, it, 
it's not that there's anything shocking so much. I mean, no. there's some details in the book that are kind of interesting, like going to bed with McDonald's and watching TV. Which, I mean, like, fine. Uh, but it seems like like members of Congress in particular are are kind of closing ranks. You know, at the at the retreat in Camp David earlier over the weekend, it, we had this, you know, another round of loyalty, like, you know, things are so great. I love working with Donald Trump, so forth, from congressional leaders, from cabinet members. This Is this enough for him, it seems? So this is an interesting question for me to ask you, because you know more about this regardless. At the end of the day, it's an even-numbered year. It's the first term of a presidency. He's most likely going to lose states. Would this have happened regardless of who won? If if Hillary won and it was a Dem retreat, would Dems be distancing themselves for her because it's 2018? That's what I'm asking you. Again, the laws of gravity, you know, of political gravity were suspended a bit in, in 2016, in the last time. For the most part, you go back, you know, a century, and the sitting president's political party loses seats in both the House and Senate in in his in his first midterm, and usually the second midterm too, the six year so called six year itch. the The sixth year was when Bush lost both chambers. Bush also is the the counterexample uh, because the the Republicans regained. The Senate in 2002, in his first midterm. Uh, I mean, granted, it was a you know it was a it was a 50-50 and then a 51-49. But also, like, it, it was close. he he ended his first year with almost 80 plus right. 80 because of a horrible tragedy. Because so that's already skewed. It, it is it is skewed. Um, so most likely, the president will lose seats. Will it be enough to flip the house? Uh, it, it that's that's debatable. I mean, it, 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 most political prognosticators would say. It is. It is. They're beginning to see a wave, a Democratic wave. In the Senate, it's a little more complicated because the, the Democrats who are running are running in in Republican states or states that lean Republican. So there are issues there with that. My my question about this though is that everybody gets tired of the president. You know, I mean, regardless of who, of who exactly, it is. And, so, it, and Trump, we, like we joke about Trump years. Mm-hmm. You know, like it feels like he's been in office longer than just a year. Sure. But I actually don't think he's that remarkable in this way. I don't think he's as bad as everyone says. I clearly don't think he's as good Boy, as if they listen to this saying. podcast, that's going to really hurt. I know. He's just normal. <laughs> when you say that he's just normal. I know. That's the, the crazy thing is saying that he's a reasonable human being, but at the end of the day, he's got the same motivating factors as everyone else, does not fit the narrative that everyone's using, but that's the reality in which we live. He's the same person he's always been. If you, if you read the book that he didn't write, The Art of the Deal, it's the same guy. If you followed him in the lifestyles of rich and famous tabloids, it's the same guy. If you want to really know who Donald Trump is, read the 1990 Vanity Fair profile about him. It's the one that features a, a, a fight on the slopes. That is the most accurate portrayal of Donald Trump other than the book that I, Chris Kelly and I wrote because no one else understands that this is just wrestling at the end of the day. The point of wrestling is not violence. It's to sell tickets to the next wrestling show. We have spent this podcast talking about the spectacle of mm-hmm. politics and, and particularly in Donald Trump and how he uses uh, professional sports and uses the you know the spectacle of pop culture to further his own aims. The uh, earlier this week, David Brooks, New York Times columnist, wrote this column. You know the the two White Houses, in which he talked about there. You know there's this Potemkin White House, which is the the one that everybody sort of obsesses about with. You know that has this berserk you know uh, tweeter tweeter in chief uh, and everything's on fire and Sarah Huckabee Sanders is crazy and and it's just nuts. And then there on the other hand, there's the Invisible White House, which is the John Kellys, the Jim Mattises, and so forth, and they're busy rewriting trade law. They're like opening up more offshore drilling uh, on, on the coast of the United States. I mean, they're, they're reordering North Korea policy. I mean, like this, 
this is having this has real policy implications. They're they're filling the ju- the judicial you know branch in the United States with people you know kind of right out of the Federalist Society handbook. So there is a true policy effect, regardless of the spectacle, regardless of the Potemkin, you know, as Brooks put it, or, you know, for somebody who's not as, as well-versed in, in Russian avant-garde uh, film, <laughs> uh, just the, the, this is the spectacle White House. Can those policies overshadow the spectacle? Do you think that enough people? No, care that's about why that? the spectacle. No, no, of course people don't care about that. If people cared about that, they wouldn't vote against their interests, and that goes on both sides. So no, absolutely not. The things that are actually happening that are actually dangerous that could actually hurt a lot of people are not being discussed, nor will they be, because Trump is a fantastic showman. There's really scary stuff going on, and it's going through Congress. And and like he said yesterday, depending on when you're listening to this, like he said yesterday, he'll sign whatever's put in front of him. So if he's surrounded by people that hate certain groups or that have policies against certain groups, he will sign that because they're giving him love. It's very scary. I'm not saying people shouldn't freak out, but at the end of the day, Trump's going to be Trump, which is just he's one individual figure that doesn't really care, surrounded by a lot of guys that have a lot of power that really care that could probably hurt you. And with that, we're going to leave it, at least until next time. Thank you, Brandon. I'm Jason Dick. Thank you for joining us on Political Theater. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and on NPR One. For more on this and other stories, visit RollCall.com or find us on Twitter at RollCall or at CQNow.